0: Would you pray with me? Lord, your your story is so important to us. We want to understand
1: it more than that, Lord. We want to live it uh, with your story in our hearts and minds. We pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired this word would inspire us and would help us uh, to know you as you were revealed in the gospel. We pray this in
0: Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And turn to Matthew, chapter 14, starting in verse 22. We're in a series called, Take Heart,
1: the Words of Jesus to the Wounded and Weary. We're looking at the Gospel of Matthew and all of the times that Jesus encouraged people. And today we're looking at the words, Do Not Be Afraid. I don't know if you, any of you have been sailing or watched sailing on Lake Michigan, but from an outsider's perspective, sometimes sailing looks like a very relaxing activity. You know, the, the, uh, the sailboat is, is out there on the waters, cruising along. The sail is kind of nice and colorful and full of wind, and uh, it looks really peaceful. The sailors look totally relaxed from a distance, and like they have no cares in the world. And sometimes that's the case. But... Uh, From the sailor's perspective, it's not the case at all most of the time. Um, Waters which appear calm one minute become stormy the next, and all of a sudden you're stressed out. A lack of wind can leave you stranded in the middle of nowhere. Too much wind can tip your boat over completely, and the wind's always changing, doing this and that. It might be a thrilling challenge to sail, but it's usually not very peaceful. It's not a way to relax. Now, in today's gospel lesson, um, we see that following Jesus can be like sailing, that at first it appears safe and stable, uh, and sometimes it is by God's mercy, but often Jesus actually leads us into stormy waters, and we come face to face with our fears, and it is at that moment that he teaches us to live without our fears. So let's look at Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. And just consider uh, the first few verses. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Take note of that. He, he actually like, commanded them, made them get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So Jesus, at this point in his ministry, has just finished his most famous miracle, the one that's recorded in all four Gospels, and it's the feeding of the 5,000. Now, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has now 5,000 plus very satisfied customers, very happy customers, very happy people with him who are quite ready, the gospel of John tells us, to make him king. If, if Jesus and his disciples wanted to make a little cozy nest for themselves on this earth, they could have just stayed right there. They could have just kept making bread and established a, a kingdom without fighting anybody and without going to the cross. But Jesus had other plans. As we saw, he made the disciples get into the boat and then sends them to the other side where the ministry will continue and will, Jesus will continue leading his disciples into conflict, into non-Jewish areas, and ultimately to Jerusalem where he will be condemned and crucified. Um, so it's going to get stormy for his disciples in the short term and the long term. But Jesus for himself, he goes up on the mountain to pray. What's he doing there? Well, he's refueling. He's connecting with his father. He's um, He's bonding with his father so that he can have the spiritual power to complete his mission. And most likely, he's also praying for his disciples as they make their way. And then verse 24 says that by this time, the boat was a few miles from land. Well, uh, by this time, we, we learn in a later verse that this is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. So it's a long time that his disciples were sailing into the, into the wind and into the storm Jesus is praying for them. It's been nine hours. For nine hours, the disciples are, they're rowing or they're sailing. They're um, making headway only very, very slowly. Um, And Matthew says the boat was beaten by the waves. It's almost like the waves are are like tormenting the boat or whipping the boat or like absolutely opposing the boat's progress uh, because the wind was against them. The, the word beaten there is the, the same Greek word for tortured. The, the The waves are like torturing the boat. And um, if you've ever been on a sailboat, you know that if the wind is against you, if the waves are against you, it is it is torture. You're trying to make headway. You can see the place where you're trying to go, but all you can do is tack back and forth. And they've been doing that for nine hours. So you can even, you know, from the disciples' perspectives, imagine. Um, the frustration or the fear that would be rising with each passing hour as you get deeper and deeper into the night. Where's Jesus in all of this? Why? Why did He send us into this? Where is He? Could couldn't this just be like easier? We, we we had a we were having a great time there with twelve baskets of bread, but here we are out in the middle of nowhere, um, trying to get to the other side, and Jesus isn't even with us. Um. I just want to pause for a moment to consider that the world is a pretty stormy place, is it not? The world's just like this, not just for the disciples, but for us as well. So, sure, there are peaceful times, peaceful harbors. We thank God for peaceful harbors, but safe harbors and peaceful times cannot stop storms. They don't stop them entirely. What's more, if we're following Jesus, He's often going to send us into storms. He's going to tell us to get into the boat, and he's going to send us into danger, send us into waves, send us into wind. Maybe you're familiar with the four types of conflict. If you like stories, movies, books, you may be familiar with the four types of conflict that make any of those stories interesting at all. Number one is person versus person. Uh, This is where someone squares off with someone else and there's a conflict and that's the st- center of the story. So like Dorothy facing off with the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz. Or the second type of conflict, person versus nature. This, this, you know, you're trying to battle nature and overcome it like in the story of Robinson Crusoe. But what about a person versus themselves? There's an inner struggle that defines everything like Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. It's like he's battling his own temptation towards evil, the whole three books. And that's like the central conflict. Among all the other conflicts, that's the one that matters the most. Or, or what about person versus society or versus systems, like Fahrenheit 451 or the Truman Show? It's like one person battling a whole system. Um, we live in a world with all four types of conflict, and they're, they're real. It's not, a, it's not a fictional account. This world is not safe. Like, bad things happen all the time. It's filled with dangers, toils, and snares. And we've been born into this world by God's sovereignty.
0: So let's not lie to ourselves about this. Um, In this world, we will have trouble.
1: We will have medical trouble in this world. We will have relational trouble, psychological trouble. We'll have storms in this world. And we'll contend with ourselves, with other people, with nature, and with the systems and powers of our age. We will be sent into conflict. If we're following Jesus, we will have the devil and his kingdom of darkness to contend with. And in the process, every last one of us will die. We will face our final enemy, death, and we will die, every last one of us. Amy Carmichael was an Irish woman who moved to India to rescue women and girls from sex trafficking in the early 1900s. She did this out of love for Jesus, and uh, what happened was uh, as they began to rescue women and girls from these Hindu temples where they were being trafficked, they, they realized that they needed to care for their psychological and spiritual and physical needs, and so they established a house, a shelter, so these girls could heal physically, psychologically, and spiritually. Now, in the process, Amy and her colleagues found themselves in a great battle with evil. In The Gold Cord, her book, um, she describes how dangerous it felt to actually get close to those Hindu temples where, where the trafficking was happening. She says this, there was a horror, stark horror, many a time. We knew that for many a woman, that high carved door to the entrance of the temple was the open door to hell. And for her team to confront all of this was to touch sin in the raw. It was to touch, meaning to confront something alive, responsive, and resentful. This world is a stormy place, especially when Jesus sends us into conflict with evil and injustice. Yet Jesus Christ shows up to storms. So let's not lie to ourselves that the, uh, about the fact that the world is a stormy place. It is, but let's also not forget that Jesus shows up to storms. It's in his very nature. He couldn't do otherwise. Verse 25 of Matthew 14 says, in the fourth watch of the night, this is somewhere between three and 6 a.m., Jesus came to them walking on the sea.
0: Don't forget the imagery here. Jesus is up on the mountain and he's in the presence of his Father and
1: he sees the disciples in his compassion. And what does he do? He comes down from the mountain, comes down from the Father's presence, and he goes to the storm right into its very eye. Jesus Christ at one time was the King of heaven. There is a peaceful land, there is a peaceful city where there is no conflict with injustice and sin and, and uh, all kinds of storms. It's a peaceful, peaceful shore, and Jesus is the king of that city, and he came down from heaven just like he came down from the mountain to enter the storm of our world, to go right into the very eye of the storm and the depths of the conflict, all four types of conflict, put himself right in the middle of all of the melee and be destroyed in the process to save us. He's drawn to people who are in a tight spot. And you know that? People get in tight spots. Sometimes when we're not in a tight spot for a while, that's when we start to think the world's not really an unsafe place. But it's people who are in extreme spots. They're being squeezed and they're being being harassed and they're being opposed. And their very life is in danger. That's the people that Jesus has a heart for and comes to and helps and he brings his peace with him. He he brings his compassion with him. He brings his problem-solving with him. He brings his heart with him. So with compassion in his heart, Jesus sees the disciples a few miles away. He comes down from the mountain. He scrambles down. Maybe he's still praying to the Father, Lord, help them. They're they're afraid. They're, They're being opposed by the wind and the waves, and they're afraid, and they're tired. He finds the most efficient way to the boat, walking on water, as it happens when you're the Son of God and he shows up to the storm. Jesus shows up to all of our storms. Sometimes we don't recognize him. Sometimes we don't don't know how to see him. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. So Jesus is coming here to help, but as he gets close enough to be spotted, someone on the boat sees them maybe in their peripheral vision. And um, uh, you guys are familiar with the phrase, the like plausibility structure. It's what you think is possible. And, and all of a sudden they find a, some kind of person, some ty- type of being breaking their sense of reality, blowing their minds, uh, ruining their plausibility structure. And for a moment, they're freaking out because someone's like, that's a ghost. And all these grown
0: men are like, ah! But can we blame them? We can't blame them.
1: Um, We can only see their humanity because you and I have had those moments where we've totally lost it. We've totally freaked out. I mean, if you've been on a boat for nine hours, working, 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 trying to get through this wind, your, your boat is being tortured by the waves. You're exhausted. And when you're exhausted, it's not hard to be afraid. It's not hard to lose your cool. It's not hard to lose perspective. Um, Jesus does approach them in a supernatural way, um, but they can only see through their limited lens um, that it must be a ghost to come haunt them. And fear does this, you know. Fear changes our perspective on reality. It's like fear is like holding the binoculars like the wrong end and looking at life like that What fear does is it diminishes God in our eyes. Fear, when we're in panic, it diminishes what God can do and how powerful he is. And sometimes it even not just diminishes Jesus and diminishes his power, but it also makes Jesus's activity look like a threat. You know, it makes him look like a threat rather than a savior. Um... Fear diminishes our ability to put power in God's hand where it belongs and uh, to let him calm us down. And and sometimes what fear does is it causes us to conclude God has messed up my life, right? He's messed up my safety. He's put me on a boat when we could have had a nice, comfortable life. Um, he's, He's coming to freak me out. And a lot of times this happens when we are right in the thick of fear. The Lord is acting, and we just can't see him as he needs to be seen. And here's where the word of God is so important, the promises of God and the word of God and the presence of the Spirit. Verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus' familiar voice And his familiar promises and his familiar identification speaks familiar words. Don't be afraid. Take heart. It is me. And his message is so simple. It's a really simple promise and a really simple message, which is, I'm here. I'm here. And you don't have to be afraid anymore. We could imagine the instant relief on the disciples' water-soaked faces. Maybe an exhale. All right. It's okay. Jesus is here. And it changes everything. First of all, there's no ghost. And second of all, he can calm the storm. We've seen him do that before. Um, it's important, though, to remember that when Jesus says, do not be afraid, he's not saying, buck up and um, stop crying. Um, he's not saying, push your fear into your system. He's saying, you can be at peace. Peace, he doesn't have to force peace. Sometimes we try to force peace. Jesus just, peace just emanates off of the person of Jesus. Um, It it comes through his words. It beams off his body. His entire presence is a three-dimensional walking peace. And so wherever he goes, he can bring peace. He does bring peace. Peace happens when Jesus acts. This is why the author of Hebrews tells Christians who are under extreme trial, To fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, uh, the people that were being written to from the book of Hebrews could not see Jesus physically. But what could they do? They could fix their imagination on Jesus, fix their remembrance on Jesus, fix their wholehearted personal attention on what Jesus has done, the author and perfecter of their faith. This works. You can do this (laughs) where you think about Jesus. Um, he created the world that you and I live in. It's not his fault that it's stormy. That's a result of sin and death and hell invading our world. Um, But he created it, and he brought us forth into this world, and so he is Lord over every disaster, loss, danger that could ever harass us, that could ever terrify us. He's Lord over those storms. Secondly, he created this world And he has suffered many storms, he entered the storms, and he has lived through the worst possible nightmares that you could ever imagine. So his suffering gives him great authority to confront those evils, to comfort us in them, and bring us joy when we suffer. And we can think on that, we can fix our eyes on Jesus. We can fix our eyes on the fact that Jesus was raised to life, that he raised his disciples' spirits when he did so. So are you in a tight spot right now? Are you in an extreme place? Jesus might not be walking on water around you, but he is around you, and you have the power to fix your eyes on him. He's praying for you right now as your great high priest. One spiritual director I know uh, taught me, spoke with me about how he experiences Christ's peace in the midst of storms. And this is what he told me. First, he notices the presence of anxiety in his body, um, a tight chest, a racing heart, a worrying mind. And second, he asks the Lord to help him identify whether or not this is from from God. God, right now, I'm feeling doom and gloom. Is this from you? Right now, my chest feels tight. Is this from you? And if it's not from the Lord, if this sense of desolation and doom Is not from God, then what he tells God is this I do not submit to this spirit that is causing doom and uh, heaviness and desolation. I don't submit to it. I submit to the spirit of Jesus, which brings peace. And he stays in that posture of prayer until something changes. He just absolutely submits himself to the Lord Jesus. And he does not submit himself to the spirit of doom and desolation and anxiety. And he does that until there's a sense of peace in Jesus, in his own body and heart. Sometimes we need a spiritual friend to help us through that. Um, But nevertheless, we have that ability to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because the promise of Isaiah 43 can be true for us. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Um, when, you pass through, uh, the, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. In Jesus' name, this can be true for each one of us. We can be free from slavery to fear. So this world, it's a stormy place, and Jesus draws near to storms. So what becomes possible for us when Jesus comes near the storms? Uh, And the first thing that becomes possible for us is that we can follow him actually into storms. Not just sent into storms, but actually we can follow him with our own volition into storms. Verse 28, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water.
0: And Peter wants to do something here he's never done before, which is to walk on water, walk into a storm.
1: Before now, it was unthinkable that he would ever do that. But now that Jesus is out there, Peter wants to join him. One of the ways that humans conquer fears is what's known as uh, exposure therapy. Have you ever heard of exposure therapy? Exposure therapy is when a caregiver leads someone who is battling anxiety to actually face their fears. And there are ways to do that that don't bring more trauma, but you do walk into what has traumatized you in some cases, and you confront it, but this time you're doing it with a sense of volition and agency. And it's a very powerful form of therapy. Jesus, uh, Peter wants to follow Jesus on the cutting edge of faith into the place of anxiety. And so he says, if it's you, call me out. Verse 29, Jesus says, "Come." So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. I love this picture because it's not a bulletproof Peter right now. It's a it's a it's a taste of the supernatural life for Peter. You know, where like every every step he takes Is by the power of God. Every time that it goes from his heel to the ball of his foot, he's putting his trust in God. He's putting his trust in Jesus to hold him up there. I mean, that's like the rest of his ministry. This is Peter's way, Um, because he would later preach to people in Pentecost who didn't believe in Jesus, and three thousand of them would convert. Later, after that, he would confront Ananias and Sapphira for lying to him to the Holy Spirit, and to the people of God, and they would die before his very eyes. He would be put in prison, and an angel from God would come down and rescue him and give him instructions, and he would be released. And then later on, Peter would be crucified upside down, according to um, the stories of church history, and uh, he would absolutely put his trust that as he was being crucified, he would be ushered into the city of peace. And every single time Jesus came through for him, every single time Jesus helped him. This is not a bulletproof life here. This is a vulnerable human, God's power in his weakness life. And this is what it is like to follow Jesus. You're walking on water. Things are becoming possible for you that weren't possible before. Sacrifices you never thought you could make are now being, now uh, you have the power to make those sacrifices. And also, there's some trial and error, right? There's some times when we lose our way, where we don't have the faith, where we don't fix our eyes on Jesus. Verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, got freaked out again. And beginning to sink, he cried out,
0: Lord, save me. Let's not be too hard on Peter here. Because we've all been there. We get freaked out again after having peace. The anxiety comes back.
1: And, and we get the binoculars turned wrong side around and diminishes Jesus' power in our eyes. And we start to sink. We're a mixture of fear and faith, right? We, we, we believe, we don't believe, it's kind of a mix faith and doubt. But failure is part of the process of learning faith, it's part of the process of maturity. And so, Peter, at his lowest point, As he's sinking in the muck and the mire, it's almost like he's praying the Psalms in its most essential form. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. It's one of the most basic prayers we can pray. Help. (laughs) And so I love that prayer. Jesus, I'm yours. Save me. This is all I've got. I'm a messy mixture of faith and fear. I'm following you. It was great yesterday, today. I'm a mess. I'm soaking wet. Save me. So how does Jesus respond to prayers like this? He rescues Peter, verse 31. He immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. He brings some insight, a question to strengthen Peter's faith. Oh, you a little faith, why did you doubt? And then he solves a practical problem for Peter in verse 32 when he calms the storm. The wind ceased. Um, Jesus proves himself so trustworthy when we're in that spot where all we can do is cry out, help. Um, Amy Carmichael experienced this many times in her uh, contest with evil. She and her team were constantly, constantly in storms on behalf of the children in India. And here's what she said after decades of of struggle. Attempts to wreck the work became more deadly. There were alarms and perplexities and no way of getting advice. For there was no precedent to follow. But God is the God of the waves and the billows, and they are still His when they come over us. And again and again, we have proved that the overwhelming thing does not overwhelm. Once more, by His interposition, deliverance came. We were cast down, but we were not destroyed. Like Peter, we're free. And like Amy Carmichael and her team, we're free to actually follow Jesus into the storm, into our fears, with a sense of empowerment, um, with a sense that his presence is with us. We might cry out. We might sink. We might fail. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. He's teaching us to trust him. Um, And this is his chosen path. This is the only way that we will be free of fear. Did you know that? It's the only way that we will be ultimately free of fear. There's no other way. There's plenty of times when Jesus brings calmness to us. But if we are going to be fearless, we are going to be facing our fears with the presence of Christ. Ask anyone in heaven if they're afraid of death. You have to get there first. But when you do, ask them if they are afraid of death. Ask yourself if you're afraid of death. Once you've passed through death and you'll realize we will all realize that what we were afraid of was only by the power of Jesus, the gateway into life. You know, that's what gave the early church so much courage. And they needed so much courage. They faced so much storms, so much opposition, uh, so much marginalization, and in many cases, death. But they weren't afraid of it. They said, well, Jesus transformed it into the gateway of life. So I don't have to be afraid of extreme spots, tight spots, stormy spots,
0: conflict zones. What becomes possible when we see Jesus in our storms? We actually we face our fears with him at
1: our side, but also we worship him. We worship him. The disciples worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. And this is what storms do for us. There's a way that storms are going to teach us how to worship the Father, Son, and Spirit in a way that we never would have known how to worship otherwise. You will worship like you've never worshiped before if you've been delivered from something harsh. Those binoculars, they get turned right way around, and you're like, oh my word, I never realized how big God was. And you say, Lord, I'm sorry for ever doubting you, ever doubting your promises, ever doubting your goodness and your power. Um, Dallas Willard once said this For those who love God, the world is a perfectly safe place for us to be. Though we are hurt, we are not ultimately harmed. Did you know that? That the world is a stormy place. God is real, he's not just an idea, and he's truly, in Jesus, part of our world. And in him, nothing extreme and nothing dangerous ultimately can threaten us. For those of us who love God, he works it out according to his purposes, and he turns death into life. So this morning, my friends, let us sit with Jesus on this boat. He's calmed the storms. Uh, He has calmed our fears, and he's come to be with us. So let us worship him for how he's delivered us and will bring us safely
0: into the shores of the city of light. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.